Content warning. Tone Deaf is rated explicit for mature content and strong language. Spoilers are in every episode, so if you haven't seen the shows we are reviewing, you can always check back in later with us. We'll be here when you get back. I watched as the movie musical Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living composers say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held the lance, and he was given a crown, and he rode out to deliver a mediocre and ridiculously expensive yet cheap-looking movie musical unto the world. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living composer say, Come! And then another horse came out, a fiery one, and its rider was given the power to speak to animals and unleash a musical bomb by the same composers as the first unto the world. In his hand was a parrot, and the book the musical was based on torn asunder. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living composer say, Come! And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four composers saying, Add more bodies, add more sets, 25 million to make 26. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living composer say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. It was the death of the big Hollywood movie musical of the Hayes Code era, and it rode out on the horizon, the lost horizon, if you will, taking the roadshow release of movie musicals with it. The book of Theater Revelation, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren, uh, recently released from an animal POW camp after accidentally stumbling across a global conspiracy to eradicate all humans and install animals as the dominant life forms on the planet. It's been a week, Kay. Yeah, and now um, we are here to say that we welcome our snail overlord um oh hail the great pink one yes we 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 hail john the giant pink sea snail oh hail the great pink one um and uh we will gladly um uh uh 
do whatever is needed um, for the avian overlords, and we will not disparage geese ever again. We know that geese really can beat a man in hand-to-hand combat. So before we continue our journey today, um, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping up front. So first off, thank you for the wonderful ratings that we've been getting on Podchaser. Thank it's you been so nice much. to see. Um, <laughs> keep them coming. Uh, we'd would love to be able to chart again at some point. That would be <laughs> that would be fun. Um, I also wanted to mention that we are on a new app. <gasps> Yeah. What's, what's the new app? Podcast Guru. That sounds like an awesome app for podcasts. Yes. So uh, check us out on there if you haven't already. They actually promoted our show on Twitter. Oh, uh, that's, so that's right. That was, yeah, that was that was super sweet. So y'all should y'all should definitely listen on Podcast Guru. Thank you, Podcast Thank Guru. You. So uh, one more thing, just uh, if it. If you want to go above and beyond helping us, you can join the awesome patrons that are going to be announced in the intermission of our show before the promo for the awesome show that we're going like, hey, listen to the show that we listen to. (laughs) Listen. Do it now. now. (laughs) So if you want to uh, join the illustrious producers of Tone Deaf, our our wonderful stage crew and all them, uh, you can join us on Patreon. Tone Deaf Musical. Uh, we're gonna try to get some stuff up because Mama Kay found a bunch of old plays I was in. So <gasps> Warren's gonna have to be tied down and watch him. Don't no, don't don't <laughs> so. Anyway, that'll be uh that'll be it for the housekeeping at the start. Are you ready for the next movie musical in our movie musical apocalypse? Uh, you know, I have a hard time believing that, uh, that ones that we're going to see are worse than ones we have seen, but then- Camelot was bad. Camelot was pretty bad, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and I kind of feel a little bit bad for Dr. Doolittle because it's one of those things, like, it's considered a classic, and it's not, it's not that bad when compared to other ones but because it it tanked so poorly it's on this list yeah and so i'm kind of i've heard a lot about hello dolly like hello dolly is one of those those shows that i've heard people mention for years and years and years Mm -hmm. mostly i believe the stage version not the film version you've you've heard kind of comparisons of the two like uh it was i believe it was your dad uh one of your dads said that um he liked the stage version, but saw the movie version first and was like, this is boring. And then saw it on stage and was like, this is awesome. And that's, yeah. The consensus for most people. Yeah. And so part of what makes this part of the movie musical apocalypse is it's not terrible. And we're going to talk about that with the critical consensus. It wasn't bad. It wasn't Camelot, but the amount of money that they put into this. Yeah, when you put in a lot of money for mediocrity is kind of what it seems like. You have to do better. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, like, as you had mentioned before, since it was the Hayes Code era, there were so many restrictions on, like, what they could do without it getting flagged in terms of uh, social acceptability. And we'll talk about this. This is right after the Hayes Code gets taken away. 
So they probably didn't know what they probably was. Uh, they're like, or rather, it was released after. Ah, there you go. Because we'll talk sense. about why. Uh, we'll talk about one of the things that caused some budgetary issues late in the game for them. Fill my brain with theater knowledge, Kay. Oh, I'll fill it, babe. <laughs> so, Hello Dolly is a lesson in spending way too damn much money to get barely any reward. <laughs> uh, you're gonna see a shift in movie musicals after this one and uh, the last film in this series, which is gonna kind of continue later on with the opening of Seals 5 through 7, but we need a break. <laughs> we need a break between them, <laughs> because you can't go through all of the trials and tribulations just yet. Um, but you've already seen in some musicals of the 70s that we've seen, they're different in feel to shows like Hello, Dolly, which you haven't seen yet, Dr. Doolittle, Sound of Music, My Fair Lady, that are all like your typical big-budget Hollywood musical. Once you get into Cabaret, which you haven't seen, or Rocky Horror Picture Show, or Hair, or Godspell, those are after this era. The musicals are not going to be the Rodgers and Hammerstein shit that we were getting in the past. It's It's going to be a little bit more rough around the edges, sometimes a little bit edgier, taking more risks. Experimental. Yeah, being more experimental at this point. Pushing doing, the envelope. Yeah, at this point we're doing very cookie-cutter shows, and audiences don't want that anymore. Um, like, there, there's a different feel. They're not going to be the huge, giant cast. They're not sounding like Sound of Music, My Fair Lady, Oklahoma, etc., it's less Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe because the Hayes Code is over, bitches, and we can say <laughs> bitches now. <laughs> and you know what? You know, we're going to have married couples in the same bed, goddammit. Yeah. Still going to be killing off gays because we're not that progressive. Mm. Fuck you. Mm. God. Anyway, um, all that stuff from earlier musicals isn't popular when you see more challenging stuff. And by this point, Hayes Code ends in 1968, like, officially is gone. Before that, you're getting shows that are kind of starting to push the envelope a little bit and see what they can get away with, because you've got independent filmmakers doing that, because they're not really bound to the same thing that studios are. Um, we'll, we'll do a whole episode on this, I think, <laughs> either a bonus episode or a mini episode, because it is really cool, and musicals do play into both sides of the Hayes Code era, like both the during and the after, so, yeah. Why? No! I'm tickling! No! No! Why? <laughs> Your foot is resting against my leg. See, this... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no! So, Hello, Dolly! is technically a postcode movie musical. And it's an postcode, ad so they had to revive it. Clear. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, so it's an adaptation of Jerry Herman and Michael Stewart's wildly successful stage musical from 1964, Hello Dolly, which in turn was based on the 1938 stage play The Merchant of Yonkers by Thornton Wilder, which was renamed The Matchmaker in 1955. I, what you mean? The Merchant of Yonkers wasn't wasn't a wasn't a powerhouse of well, a name. Yonkers is in New York, but that's beside the point. Which 
was based on. Johann Nestroy's 1842 play, Einen Jusch Will Er Sich Machen. Uh, I suck at German, man. I suck at German so bad. Try, try reading that one more time. Uh, fuck. Einen Jusch Will Er Sich Machen. I I do not know any German, but just it, my my terrible Warrenness. It sounds like something about a Jew in a machine is kind of no, what that sounded like. No, it is. He will go on a spree, or he will have himself a good time. Your rivalry with French is my rivalry with German. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a rivalry because it's one sided. Because <laughs> French doesn't give a shit about me, but I see French words in my brain. At the language meeting, uh, my they they said some things about Warren. You know, the concept of sentient languages having it out for us is quite disturbing. <laughs> Latin's cool with me, though. <laughs> well, it's in your blood. A little bit, yeah, like 14%. <laughs> I, I have some of the blood of the Romans coursing through my veins. <laughs> the northern Romans. Is that why you conquered my heart? Aww. Aww. <laughs> so, um... Wow, that was a squeaky chair. So... This is based on that, which is also, <laughs> there's one more based on. Uh, so, he will go on a spree or he'll have himself a good time, was based on John Oxenford's 1835 one act, A Day Well Spent. So, it's like a little nesting doll. It's a lot of, of different plays. names for, like, the same adaptation of the same thing. I still, like, I didn't know Yonkers was a place in New York. Yeah, I don't I, remember where, but I, yeah. I, I, and I'm just sitting here like Yonkers. Yon I don't know if Yonkers is a nickname for a place in New York or if it's an actual place in New York, because I don't, admittedly, I'm not as good with New England geography, so I don't know. Big shrug, Kay. Big shrug, Warren. So this will be Barbara Streisand's second film role. Her first one was Funny Girl. Uh, it also stars Walter Matthau. Mr. Wilson! I, sorry, you said Funny Girl, and I think I might have actually seen Funny Girl. Maybe. You did? Maybe. Is that, if I'm thinking of the right one, is that where Barbara Streisand in one of the singing roles is like a pregnant woman or something like that? Or is, am I thinking of something completely? I don't know. I think... So, I saw Funny Girl when I was, like, seven, and that's the only time I've ever seen Funny Girl, so... So when we get to that, we'll see if it's one I had seen or not, because I can't remember, because there was a period of time where I was like, I need to see these plays that, or these movie musicals that Barbara Streisand was in, because I was a little kid that wanted to see those shows, and I can't remember if it was... I think I saw Funny Girl and didn't see Yentl. Because I think Yentl's the one with Papa, Can You Hear Me? Yentl of Yonkers? Papa, can you hear me? Do you, you want to build, build a snowman? <laughs> so, um, I, admittedly, I'm not good with Barbara Streisand's filmography. Because I just, I, not, I was a little kid. You're and not a Streisand? No, I'm not a Streisand. Um, I, I had one car ride that kind of turned me off of her because someone was playing like, the same song of hers over and over and over, and it drove me nuts. So I was like, you know what? Kay. I'm not into this. Okay, you gotta let it go, okay? <sighs> Stupid joke. I'm sorry, I'm tired. It's okay, babe, I am tired too. <laughs> so, 
Uh, like I said, the stars Walter Matthau, a.k.a. Mr. Wilson, who was also the original Oscar Madison from The Odd Couple. Um, it stars Phantom and Old Badger Man, Michael Crawford. Um, Old Badger Man. You say Phantom Phantom of the Opera, Phantom? Mm-hmm. Okay. And like... also he played a badger. Rheumatism. <laughs> that one? Yes. He oh. was in Once Upon a Forest as the Old Badger. Okay, then. I, I had to pick things that I knew that you would remember, <laughs> which is why I went Mr. Wilson for Walter Matthau. You said, oh, 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 Dennis the Menace, Mr. Wilson. Yes. Okay. Mr. Wilson! Uh, fuck my brain. You know, <laughs> sometimes I feel like, I think I, might, I can't remember what movie it is, but it feels like that guy with the cloth between his ears just cleaning out his brain. <laughs> So, um, we also have Marianne McAndrew, who seems to have gone on to do mostly TV and TV movies after this one. Uh, E.J. Peeker, who was in a 1968 musical TV show called That's Life. So, you know, what my next quest is going to be to look for. (laughs) Hey, hey, Tone Deaf fans, ToneDeafMusical at gmail.com. If you can find anything to get me That's Life. We'll be friends. We'll be friends. Um, much love from Kay. Much love from Kay. And maybe a side eye from Warren. <laughs> Depending. Uh, Danny Locken, uh, who I wished I hadn't looked up because goddamn his story is sad and we're Oof. not a true c- crime podcast. So. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Joyce Ames, not much of a filmography before or after this, being mostly bit parts on a couple of TV shows and being in one or more movies. Uh, Judy Nays, who was on Mr. Rogers in the 60s, according to IMDb. Not sure if she stayed with him full time or not. Um, David Hurst, who was on TV a lot. And Tommy Toon, who you won't know from anything yet because musicals. <laughs> I like that name, though, Tommy Toon. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think this was his first film role. Uh, so then, we also have Fritz Feld, whose filmography is vast, and who, fun fact, would slap his mouth uh, with the palm of his hand to his open mouth to make kind of a pop noise that sounds like a champagne cork. Wow, I you can't... and I—you and I, I look like a couple <laughs> idiots smacking ourselves in the face. This is good yeah, radio. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't imitate it. Uh, and then uh, that actually became the trademark for him. And then. There's a cameo from the always amazing Louis Armstrong singing the song that dethroned the Beatles for a little while on the charts in 1964. Take that, Beatles. Yeah, yeah. There's like, wait, are two of them alive? Yes. Or just one? Two. Two. Okay. Ringo and Paul. Take that, two of the remaining Beatles. <laughs> um, this film was also directed by Tone Deaf alum Gene Kelly who had to fight for Michael Crawford's singing voice to be used in the film. Do you remember what Gene Kelly was in? (sighs) The name is really familiar. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. I remember what it was in. Uh, Um, um... I'm holding up uh, three I, I, fingers. I, I know, I know, I know. You're holding up three <laughs> fingers like an Allosaurus. Um. <coughs> I didn't think it would get you that well. It's a simple dinosaur joke. Um, 
Sing, singing in the rain. Yes, he is. So he is. He's the the main guy mm-hmm. who I had issues with because he was kind of a douchebag to yep. the leading lady, and uh, had the really creepy song about how you belong to me. Yep. You were made for me. You're mine. Yep, because you're a woman in the thirties, forties, late twenties, late twenties. So you have no rights, and you're not really a person. And he also sang the title song, "Singing in the Rain." Danced in the rain. Catching pneumonia. I'm just catching pneumonia. <laughs> Which uh, you got introduced to with Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yep, not the way I would uh, <laughs> I'm so recommend sorry. getting introduced to singing in the rain. That was my fault. So, Fox is also showing up again here. Uh, Fox just has their dick everywhere, don't they? So, they were trying to relive their Sound of Music glory days. With this, Dr. Doolittle, and another show that we're going to need to check out called Star, um, which were, and Dr. Doolittle and Star were ones that should have let them know, we're done with these. No one wants to see Fox movie musicals right now. (laughs) And instead they went, let's do Hello, Dolly. And we'll get into the rights issues in a little bit. I would see a movie musical about a fox, maybe, depending, as long as it's not Fox and the Hound. Fox and the Hound technically counts as a movie musical because there's like two songs, three songs. I saw it once as a small child and it made me upset. Actually, Fox and the Hound is going to sort of roundabout show up in this (laughs) only because the woman who played the owl is going to get a mention. I'm unintentionally prophetic. (laughs) So, um, I, I feel like... This wouldn't have been too bad if Fox hadn't done what they're about to do. Fox has a definite budget issue with their movies in the 60s. And you could probably argue later on as well, but the 60s, they really fuck it up. So they kept going bigger and bigger with their budget. Uh, The sets are ridiculous. There's one set that's the Harmonia Garden set that's three fucking levels and filled up an entire goddamn soundstage. Wow. And, like, the fun fact on that set, there's a back wall behind the hat check girl, and that back wall is the ballroom <laughs> from Sound of Music. <laughs> like, huh. Yeah. So, you know, reusing some stuff. But still, it's a big fucking set. (laughs) Um, And Barbara Streisand, who plays the titular character, uh, has a gown for this scene that cost $8,000. $8,000 in 1960 money. Yes. And it was 40 pounds. Jesus. Which, fuck no. It was gold-beaded, and it originally had this big, long train behind it, but during rehearsals, it kept tripping actors and, like, the extras and Barbara Streisand, and so they only have that train, like, as she starts down the stairs, and then it mysteriously is gone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that whole sequence took a month to shoot. Like, the whole sequence in the Harmonia Gardens took a month. Boy. That's a long time. Sounds like production purgatory. Yeah, it's awful. And that's one scene. Like, one one sequence. Kind of reminds me when you were talking about with Camelot, how they spent, like, what was it, like a month in... Uh, in Spain in and Spain. had 30 minutes. <laughs> 30 minutes of footage. Yeah, it's like, Fox. <laughs> Why? So, uh, speaking of Streisand, 
there was some trouble on set because she and Walter Matthau fucking hated each other. And they were always fighting. Matthau even told her at one point, you have no more talent than a butterfly's fart. Ooh, Which is harsh. Yeah. That's really fucking harsh. Because Barbara Streisand, while I'm not a big fan of her voice necessarily, because, I don't know, there, it, her voice just doesn't do anything for me. I'm not familiar enough with her to have a strong opinion. Yeah. Uh, other than the South Park episode where she turned into Mecha Streisand and... <laughs> Lord. So, um... It, like, I, I don't agree with his... He, she is talented. Her voice just doesn't do it for me. Um, but there was one point where Matthau and Crawford went to a horse track during break, and there was a horse named Hello Dolly, and Matthau was like, fuck that horse. I'm not betting on that horse. Fuck that horse. So <coughs> Michael Crawford is like, I will bet on this horse. Holy shit, this horse won. I will bet on this horse to win. And so Matthau's like, fuck you, Crawford, and doesn't talk to him for the rest of production. Oh, wow. What a petty little bitch. Yeah, unless he, like, had to. What a he, petty little bitch. Yeah. They actually had to do trick photography to make Barbara Streisand and Walter Matthau look like they're kissing at one point. Because they just wouldn't do they it for the scene. They wouldn't do it for the scene. So they had to do trick photography. You know, that... <laughs> yeah, it's what I can... I can, uh, imagine... If you had to kiss somebody that you hated for a job, how hard that would be. Mm -hmm. uh, but you'd fucking do but it. <laughs> at the same time, these are adults. Well, okay. In quotes. These are adults mm -hmm. being paid for a professional thing. Yeah. Like, Matthau wouldn't kiss her. She wouldn't kiss him. So they had to, like, do trick photography, get their faces close enough, and then, yeah. So there's going to be a kiss that you'll see between them. It's not real. <laughs> It's uh, an illusion. It's an illusion. So back to sets. They they constructed this huge set to depict the turn of century New York exteriors. And uh, the director for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is a film that Robert Redford was in. Um, that have you seen that one? I don't believe so, but have I you? am. I'm familiar You're with familiar Butch with Cassidy it. and the Sundance. Okay, Kid. cool. Um, so they. <laughs> They wanted to use that set, and Fox is like, no, no, the, no don't touch this. It's our set. I, I think no. part of it was like, no, the set is fucking cursed. No, don't touch our set. <laughs> but they, they did let them come in and take pictures of the set. And so <laughs> they were able... <laughs> you can't use our set, but you can take pictures of well, the set. So, so they can take they, pictures and recreate it? Or? No, they actually used the pictures. They did a tinting process to make them look old-fashioned and then used it as montage. Like, it, uh. Butch Cassidy's a cool, like, uh, way of showing montage and film and stuff to show, oh, hey, we're here and now we're going here. And Anyway, um, not a history of film class, so... <laughs> That'll be our next podcast. <laughs> so there's also a parade sequence that used a parade unit of 657 performers wow. that was watched by a ridiculously huge cast of 3,108 extras. Wow! This is not something done at the time or really ever. Yeah, that's a, that's a big crew. Yeah. Like, like they... There are ways to work around doing that, like faking crowd shots that could be done in this era. Because guess what existed at this time that also exists now? 
Uh, special effects? Yes. Do you know what kind? Uh, green slash blue screen? Yes. Thank you, Wishbone. <laughs> there was a behind the scenes thing. That was the thing I was looking at when I was writing the notes. Uh, that was the scene of Wishbone that showed a composite effect to show the crowd that wasn't really there. It was only like 20 people, but they made 20 look like 500. Gotcha, so, yeah. Yeah. By moving people around, having them be in different outfits. And... Yeah, it's it's like, could have done that. That would have saved you money. Yeah. Gah! Anyway. Um, Bad management. Yeah, and another thing that made it expensive was the agreement that was made regarding the release of this film. So David Merrick, who was the impresario, a.k.a. producer for the stage version, and a lot of other shows, um, like 42nd Street and such, was like, you can do this film, but it can't be released when there's a Broadway production playing. Okay, so... uh, Okay, so you can't release the film while there's a Broadway production of Hello, Dolly! currently going on. I... I guess that makes a certain amount of logic. It, it does. But not for the rest of the fucking world and the rest of the United States, because yeah. we've talked about how many people actually are able to afford to get to Broadway to mm-hmm. watch a show. Yeah, and like at this era, I'm kind of like, prices were probably a little bit lower. But at the same time, someone... I can slightly understand that logic. Like someone on the West Coast, like... It would have had to have been a whole family Yeah, it would have had to have been a whole thing. Um, But, you know, that's... I can kind of see the logic. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see the logic of, like, we... We want to make sure that this is successful, and... You can be a centrist on the issue. I can be a centrist on this (laughs) issue. Jesus. (laughs) The the one time. Hey, now. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, it was most likely, again, just to keep people paying for the show, because this is risky. Like, putting them on, especially at that time, is a little risky. So, I can see it. Um, Filming began during the fourth year of Hello, Dolly's stage run. Because they were like, there's no way it's going to run for any longer. It's got to close soon. Just so that you know, Hello, Dolly! ran on Broadway from 1964 to 1970. Okay. This film is released 1969. Which means he had to do a little bit of... uh, Fox had to do a little bit of negotiating with Merrick and pay extra. Because, uh, like, they, they had just assumed, oh, it'll be done by 1969. And... It but probably the, 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 uh, Hello Dolly, run. yeah, the theater run would have been, and it probably would have been had Merrick in 1967 not been like, you know what this needs? A revival. An all-black cast. Hey, that's And people cool. went, fuck yes, we need an all-black yeah. cast. Get Pearl Bailey as Hello Dolly. And so then the show got another surge of popularity because of it. Pearl Bailey played the owl in Fox and the Hound. Okay, I still, I don't remember that, but like I said, it's been a long time. you're the best of friends, it's da 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 When you say that, the only owl that comes to mind, okay, there's two owls that come to mind right now, cartoon owls, one is from Winnie the Pooh, mm-hmm. the other one is The Secret of Nim. So those are the two owls that are in my head, I can't think of the owl Not from the Not even Archimedes? Okay, well, now that you mention that, Archimedes. The, the owl from Fox and the Hound was one of my personal favorites as a kid, What's but that was because... Because I love Pearl Bailey's voice. I, I, I was like, oh, 
I want I want you to be my grandma. Is there a there probably isn't a recording of the all black probably cast. Probably not. Bummer. I wish. Because that would be cool to watch the two different versions. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think, you know, I will say that's cool of the the, the creator to want to do an yeah. all-black cast, especially well, since... Well, it wasn't the creator, it was oh, the, producer, the producer, which is even bigger. But that that's still really cool, especially mm-hmm. considering that it was in the 60s mm-hmm. kind of thing, and they're still an issue. Yeah. And so like, I, I, my hat's off to them yeah. that I'm not wearing for... We're doing that yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like that's really cool also sorry fox because <laughs> then that leads to like uh after pearl bailey's run then we have the cast coming back of white cast and you have like phyllis diller and uh, i'm trying to remember who else plays dolly we'll talk about that more when we talk about the stage version but so basically that caused the show to have this surge of popularity with them going okay let's now that Pearl Bailey's run is over, let's do someone else. Okay, now let's do someone else. Meanwhile, Fox's film <laughs> is sitting on the shelf gathering dust and dread. You know, that that is kind of unfair, though, to the filmmaker to make them wait. Like, I could, yeah. I think that it would, I don't know, it would have been more fair to be like, we have to have a certain number of seasons of the mm-hmm. the theater show before you can, you know, release I, the film version. Like, it's that's really not fair to it, be like, we're going to extend our run of the show and, and kind of oh, cock block it. it's kind of unprecedented, too, because at the time, Hello, Dolly! was the longest running show. Because, and it, it's sort of like when extensions happen, it's because, oh, wow, this is popular. Well, yeah, let's keep it going. If people are demanding to see it. We're still making money. Yeah, we'll keep doing it. And so it's kind of a catch-22. So Fox had to pay Merrick to uh, allow them to release the film because of the contract that they had signed and the rights they had signed. So out of this whole thing, Merrick is probably the only one who came out. uh, Yeah. Came Mm -hmm. out smelling like a rose. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, no skin off his nose with this. yeah. Um, so that just added <laughs> on to the budget here. Pay me to release your shitty movie adaptation. <laughs> and I mean, it's not shitty. It's not Camelot, but it's not. It's just that it, it didn't, it didn't help to elevate yeah, the genre. It didn't, it didn't help. It actually killed this format for a while. Like, and I don't think that there've been any Broadway or any, not Broadway, any movie musicals that truly capture the same feeling that the classic, in quotes, movie musicals have. Like, there's a definite different feeling from Sound of Music to Hairspray, or from My Fair Lady to Rent, or, like, there's just, there's a definite feeling, because it's what plays. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely miss the old school uh, casual racism and misogyny. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is that you get shows like La La Land and uh, Greatest Showman, which are probably in comparison, but that, I mean, <sighs> granted, I haven't seen either of those because I have no desire to see either of those. Because, <laughs> it, it, I mean, we will, but I just... It's going to be for the podcast and not for me, because I just have no desire to see him, because that's not what I'm interested in. Um, I don't really want to see anything that whitewashes P.T. Barnum, that motherfucker. Yeah. can go choke on a dick in hell. Donkey dick. Yep, choke on a donkey dick in hell. Want to push me, pull you dick. (laughs) 
double llama. <laughs> the double llama. The only... Oh, never mind. Um... <laughs> but no, I just... I don't know. What, what I'm trying to say here is that even with those, I just from watching like trailers and stuff, I don't really think that there's the same feel that the old school movie musicals had. Like, after Hello, Dolly! and Lost Horizon, that genre's fucking dead. Mm. It is not going to be like that ever again, and we'll cover Lost Horizon next week. Because um, that one's really... yeah. Anyway, back to Hello, Dolly. The film's budget ballooned to $25 million, which is unheard of for movie musicals at this time. That does not happen. Um... Yep, bit them in the ass. Because even though Hello, Dolly! would be one of the top performers in 1969 in the box office, it barely broke even. It's because they spent so much goddamn money on it. Mm-hmm. Like, just... mm-hmm. like if, if they hadn't have done the crazy elaborate sets, they probably wouldn't have been hurt as much with the delays. And they had that 3,000 cast of Yeah, extras. like, if they hadn't made those poor decisions here, then here, when... The distribution rights can tend to be an issue that you should know will be an issue, because shit can go wrong there. I I just, I sit here and go, Fox, what the fuck? <laughs> Especially because this is a common issue with them, and we'll talk about it in one of the reviews that I was able to find. Um, but so, it only made $26 million, um, with regards to uh with regards to the um theater rentals so theatrical rentals which is what distributors get off of box office earnings so fox only made 26 million and so i want you to guess how much the broadway version made uh, the Broadway version, and we're talking, like, the entire run. Yeah. A hundred million dollars. No, that's ridiculous box office receipts for that time. But it did make more than, uh, Hello, Dolly, the movie did. Uh, then I will say 50 million? It made 27 million. So one million dollars more and it was way, 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 way cheaper to produce. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, it actually made money. And the total would have been $33 million had it not been for the theatrical trailer, or theatrical rentals for Fox. Like, it's, it's, movie money is weird. Because <laughs> it's like, technically they grossed $33 million, but they really only made 26 After cost. After and... cost and after everything. So, lost Fox money. <laughs> Bottom line. Bottom line. Well, it technically didn't it lose the money. They made the money. money, but not yeah. enough to want make them want to do yeah. another. Yeah, and it, it didn't flop, but it almost flopped. Um, and probably, you know, it... it it it's one of those things where in the big scheme of things they would have considered it losing money so it's it's kind of the same thing that when disney is like oh fuck we only made this amount of princess and the frog but we made this amount on frozen so we can't have any traditionally animated films even though princess and the frog is artistically the better movie 
Agreed. It is better than Frozen. Fuck you, Frozen. <laughs> Fuck you, Olaf. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck you, Olaf. Fuck you. Okay. Let it go. Just let it go. I think I think Kay's gonna have a blood vessel burst in their brain. Fuck you, Frozen. Kay was giving me the evil eye. <laughs> anyway. Because um, Kay's got friends on the other side. I got friends on the other side. The cards, the cards, the cards will t- Anyway. Um, <laughs> we don't need to go into that. Anyway, uh, this was one of the first movies released on VHS. Oh, cool. So, mm-hmm. was Betamax dead at the time, or was Betamax it... and VHS are at the same time? Well, I, I know, but like, but VHS survived and Betamax went. So I wasn't sure if like it was they were still up, 70... they, they were still competing, or it, they were still competing. They were still going head to head. It was released on both. It was Fox's first run of VHS and Betamax huh. home so, video stuff. So Fox so. is a buy releaser. Jesus. So, <laughs> I think one thing, uh, it, it, it wasn't poorly received. Critics were kind of like, this doesn't suck. It's not Camelot, <laughs> but it's not good. <laughs> it's meh. <laughs> it exists. <laughs> it's a, the review basically is like, I wasn't just erect with excitement. I was half flaccid by the end. Like, basically like and like going oh wow they used widescreen but they didn't do anything with it (laughs) so one thing that i think is particularly damning and sums up the whole effort is this bit by eric henderson from slant magazine more infamous for bringing fox financially to its knees than for being (laughs) the last major musical directed by gene kelly hello dolly is one Big-ass bull in a china shop. (laughs) The film cost nearly as much to produce as Cleopatra and made far less at the box office, thus earning the film its reputation as one of Hollywood's foremost turkeys. Gobble, gobble. Cleopatra cost over $31 million and nearly killed Fox at the time, but became the highest-grossing film of 1963 because Fox is bad at making choices. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the film did get a little bit of revival and interest, though, thanks to this little movie that you may have seen called Wally. Do they? So they show that in the parts where Wally is mm-hmm. like watching TV. Yep, that's how and you'll Dolly. recognize the scene. It's been a while since I've seen Wally, but, but you'll you'll recognize that scene when it happens. Wally. So yeah, uh, at least Hello Dolly survived. The destruction of Earth's, Earth. <laughs> of yeah, Earth's ecosystem. Of Earth's ecosystem. And one little robot sat there and watched it and danced. And learned to love. And learned to love. Because even robots can feel love. Wally. <laughs> anyway. So are you ready to go see Hello, Dolly? As long as it doesn't end with me being kidnapped by animals hell-bent on eradicating the human species, then yes. I don't think it will be. Okay. But no promises. I don't think I could bunk with a gorilla again. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Hey, 
Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah. Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Do you want a science podcast? No. What about a comedy science podcast? Oh, yeah. Then join us at Petri Dish. I'm Sean, a PhD and cancer researcher. And I'm Nathan, his trusty sidekick and common man slash biological brother. Together we dive into the latest, hottest topics with irreverent gusto. Cannabinoids, climate change, human sexuality. Listen weekly, everywhere podcasts are available, to Petri Dish. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. So, before we begin, we have to say that this episode is now in memoriam of three juvenile level 89 giganotosauruses. They uh, passed somewhere about two hours into watching Hello Dolly because... When we watch Hello Dolly, it takes more than the runtime of the show. My fault. And I could have left a timer, but I didn't. I could have uh, could have stood up and gone to check on the gigas that were going to hatch imminently while you were playing the or writing, not playing. I'm so heartbroken, Warren. You're heartbroken over your, over the uh, the dead fictional dinos. They they could have been part of our Giga army to take down the Forest Titan. No, which Titan do we need to still kill? I, ice Titan. Fra- ice Titan could have could have been there to take down the Ice Titan, but instead, they're. Uh, you let them down, kid. I let them down. You, you let and, them be born into a cold world, wondering where their mom is. And yes. We bred higher level gigas after that. And yes, it turns out those ones weren't mutated, like I said in my Twitter rant, but those were still three gigas that could have been helped. It could have helped us. And I blame Hello Dolly for their loss fully. I blame. Fuck you, Hello Dolly. I blame Hello Dolly for a number of things, but not this. I blame Hello Dolly for this. That's, that's okay. <laughs> Rest in peace, Gigas. Rest in peace, unnamed three Gigas who yeah. are not decomposing and just sitting in the base. Yeah, I don't know how to fix that. Just gotta give it time. Oh, God. And then the bodies be... will just disappear like a miracle. Oh, that's gonna be so long. 16 hours, Warren. I'm still surprised we can't, like, harvest their bodies. Yeah, it, it would be one thing if we could harvest the bodies, but since they never got claimed... Hey, then, wild, uh... wild card, why can't you harvest dead yeah, baby wild bodies? card, what the hell? What the hell? It's a lot of unused giga meat going to waste there. Yeah, anyway, welcome back to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse, now with more ARC content. It's okay with how many Wheel of Time and anime references I make. I think uh, <laughs> think I'm allowed to. You're allowed to sneak in one or two arc. arc I'm allowed rants. to be mad at arc. <laughs> Again, 
Not Ark's fault. <laughs> no. Every other dino. <laughs> Every other dino. Oh, well, I, mean, I can leave. I guess I guess that's true. In that sense. <laughs> Every other dino with our boosted server. In that I sense. I can leave. I guess What the fuck? <laughs> it's a giga. You'll do better in the future. <sighs> now you'll know that you can't leave baby dinosaurs unattended for so I long. I can't leave baby gigas, baby gigas unattended. <laughs> Everything else grows up and then I can claim them. Not gigas. They're like ovises. A giganotosaurus should not be like an ovis. Ovises are the sheep. I agree. Yeah. A large T-Rex-looking motherfucker should not be like a little sheep-looking motherfucker. So we're not going to get into I know where... That I know that they're not uh, tyrannosaurids. <laughs> anyway. I'll get over it in about 15 minutes. <laughs> sure it's not 15 seconds like thick? They didn't get thicked. They got, they got hello dollied. They got dollied. They got dollied. Okay. So what did you think of hello dolly? So, <laughs> back to the subject at hand. Um, I have some mixed feelings about this show. Mm-hmm. I have some very mixed feelings about this show. Uh, <laughs> first off, fuck dolly. Yeah. Uh, second off. I, 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 okay, okay, as we talk about it, the thoughts will form a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I have conflicting feelings with this show because I did enjoy it, and I am upset with myself <laughs> for enjoying it, <laughs> partly just because of what a manipulative bitch Dolly is, mm -hmm. and even though, spoilers, everything works out okay in the end... I really did not like her her scheming character. I kind of am sitting here going, this is set in an alternate Earth where one woman has the power to change everything <laughs> around her. She is the chosen one, and she uses her powers for entirely self-serving purposes. To make people burst into song wherever. Like, this is... This is uh, enchanted played straight uh minus, minus the, the animated yeah. stuff this is this is every musical scene in enchanted played completely straight <laughs> which oh God, that, that, the scene later with the homeless guy is just so good okay so our show takes place in new york city 1890 everything is frozen still and everything is green then blue then people color. Now it's staying people color. <laughs> it's staying people color as sound slowly permeates the scene and people are unfrozen and go about their daily lives. People color did that for you? That needs to be a shirt. I'm people color. What color are you, people? I'm people color. That's a that's a gurgle throaty laugh. Jesus Christ. The streets are filled with music in this time period, from people's rhythmic walking to the sound of shoes being shined and children playing hopscotch. Every moment in the Big Apple has big sound. A lady in red, Dolly Levi, is handing out cards. Apparently she's good at arranging things like furniture and uh, marriages. Dolly is one is the one woman stop for all Dolly's of your arrangement needs. 
Dolly's a dolly? Well, moving for arranging oh, furniture, ha! she's a dolly. Nice, nice, nice pun there, Kay. It, it wasn't that good, but thank you. Anyway, Dolly is the one woman stop for all your arranging needs. Just leave everything to her. She seems to be a Jack or Jill of all trades. <laughs> it makes me wonder if she's just a giant flaming con artist. <laughs> Especially because she's apparently on her way to Yonkers to go meet a half-millionaire who in eighteen in a 19, no, 1890s money would be a multi-millionaire for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so not only is she a con woman, but she's a gold digger as well. <laughs> Always be wary of a woman in red, Kay, in case I'm not around. Don't trust them. All right. Anyways, <laughs> it's on this gold digger's train ride that we get the, major- the majority of our opening credits, and I'm allowed to let my brain wander. Hey, Kay. <laughs> hey, Kay, this is 1890. That's before women were people, right? In the U.S., at least. So why isn't this woman, like... How, why is she having a job and doing things? Why isn't she already married off and pumping out babies one or after another? Anyways, the scene <laughs> takes us to Yonkers. Kate was giving me a death stare. The scene takes us to Yonkers where Mr. Vanderbilt or Vandergelt or Vander Schme- Wilson. Mr. Van Wilson. <laughs> Mr. Van Wilson <coughs> is arguing with Ambrose? Mr. Van Wilson! I'm here to fuck your niece! Um, <laughs> Ambrose? Is that his name? Yeah. Is that how you say that? Ambrose? Played by Tommy Toom. Anyways, Mr. Van Wilson is arguing with tall man who wants to bang the Vandernice. I'm not even going to pretend I know how to say her name. Irma Gerberderg? Uh, or something? Vandengard. Irma Gerberderg? Vandernice is what she shall be called. Anyways, Mr. Van Wilson tells young, dumb, and full of, you know, (laughs) to piss off. Because he's sending his niece to New York until her uterus stops wandering and she no longer wants to marry Ambrose, or whatever his name is. Oh, God. All during this scene, a barber is trying very hard to shave Mr. Van Wilson, all while he moves about frantically, arguing with the young Ambrose. After the young man stomps off and the barber finishes his chin scraping, Mr. Van Wilson inquires if, uh, maybe the, uh, the barber can give him a little something-something extra, you know, a pick-me-up, a little something to, uh, give him his A-game. The barber tells Mr. Van Wilson that he doesn't do happy endings. <laughs> Mr. Van Wilson is like, no! I mean, like a face massage, some perfume water, something special, because I have a lady I'm going to go see. It's at this time that Vandernice comes in crying, being like, bah! Ambrose is my one true love. Bah! And Uncle Van Wilson tells her to shut up. He's done her a favor and she'll thank him when she's 50. Vandernice insists that she loves Ambrose and cries, Uncle Van Wilson, and cries to Uncle Van Wilson, who tells her to save her tears for New York, well, no, where no one will notice. <laughs> I've never lived in New York City, uh, but from what I hear, that sounds kind of like it's probably mm-hmm. true. I mean, if there's just homeless people masturbating on the street and in the subway, then... I imagine someone crying is not I will say, any noticed. I never saw that when I was there, but 
I've heard enough New York comedians yeah, talk heard, about it I've that heard it enough has to be stories. true. I just must have gotten lucky. That was very possible. You were just not there at the peak homeless masturbation hours. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> go to New York where no one will notice. Now go to your room and wait there for Miss Levi or Mrs. Levi. Vandernice runs away crying, and Mr. Van Wilson cries for Cornelius, who I guess is one of his minions. Mr. Van Wilson is incredibly abusive to his minions, who he constantly berates for being incompetent while demanding that they do stuff. And Cornelius was Phantom later. Yes, Cornelius was Phantom in the version that I have not seen. Yes, and he was also the old badger man. In what? Once Upon a Forest. Which I, oh, 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 oh. You've seen that. No, no, no. I have not seen it. You've never seen Once Upon a Forest? I just saw the the review. Oh my gosh! Yes. Okay. I now know what we're doing later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Mr. Van Wilson is incredibly abusive. Mr. Van Wilson informs his employees that he's going to New York to get married, and he expects everything to be perfect while he's gone. The younger, incompetent employee, Barnaby, I think he's called, asks Mr. Van Wilson why he's getting married and he's like i'm rich and old and mean i have no friends so i guess i need a woman a fragile woman to be brought into my house to be my slave and then he goes into a song about getting a woman to cook and clean and set out the mouse traps and clean the gutters because not people yet for another 30 years remember that scene was Odd. <laughs> I, it's one of my least favorite songs, yeah. and I know it's supposed. To, I know it's probably supposed to be like quaint and old timey, mm-hmm. but it's definitely one of my least favorite. Songs. I hate that it's reprised at the end too. I'm just like, no. There's there's the song in the. There's at least three or four different reprisals in this. Yeah. But uh, Mrs. Levi then shows up in full gold digger swing, being like, "Oh, Mr. V, you look so handsome. Have you been working out? Has your cock always been that big? That's a lovely suit you're wearing. What do you mean you're getting married? I'm here to leech all of your hard-earned money away, but I see that you're interested in someone else, someone who will make sure you to help you circulate that hard-earned money of yours." <laughs> Mr. Van Wilson is like, shut up and go tend to Hermagerbaderg <laughs> or Vandernice, or I'll ask them for the money back that I paid you in advance. Dolly pulls a gold digger Jedi mind trick and is like, I left all the money and my train ticket in my other handbag when I took it to the cleaners before the cleaners burned down. <laughs> Give me money! And Mr. Van Wilson does. Gives her 50 bucks. Seriously. She is like some sort of superhero or something. She's a supervillain. Yeah. Okay, well, okay. She's she's not a supervillain. She is... She's I don't want to super. I don't want to call her an anti-hero. She is uh, because she's. In, she is I, a trickster. I, I like I said before. I know that everything works out in the end. However, I refuse to believe that she had the motherfucking future sight to be able to see that if she did all of these at face value horrible things, that everything would just work out in the end. She's fucking Bugs Bunny. How dare you besmirch that wonderful rabbit? But if you think about it... He is kind of a prick. Yeah. <laughs> he's a lovable prick. Uh, well, I mean, depending on the, the specific episode. Anyway, this is not a Bugs Bunny <laughs> podcast. Although, mental, mental note. Um, 
<laughs> Mr. Van Wilson takes off in his carriage, and Dolly then sings a song about how a woman has to be patient to change a man into the kind of man that she wants. I'm suddenly oh. not okay with this woman having rights in 30 years. Uh, anyways... As Dolly ponders her gold digger ways, she stumbles across Ambrose trying to spirit Irma Gerberder away to elope in New York City. She so then hatches. Is it written Irma Gerberder? Look at the top. <laughs> I tried to change it every time, you know, uh, but yes. She then hatches a scheme to be like, oh, you two love each other, huh? Well, here's what you gotta do. You're going to go to this restaurant, see? This restaurant that I'm sending you to. And you'll tell them that Dolly sent you, see? Yeah, see? You got that, see? Yeah, see? I kind of went into a gangster voice there, because that's how I wrote notes, because... Eh, what's up, Cornelius? Holy shit, you were right. I should not doubt the, the, the power of K. <laughs> I said Cornelius. That's later that yeah. she fucks with his life. <laughs> well, I mean, that's coming right up. She then leaves and stumbles across Barnal Bebop and Corneli Holius, who are like, I hate Mr. Van Wilson. <laughs> He's such a big jerk and he never lets us have an evening off. How are we going to go meet Goyles and do the face touching if we don't have an evening off? Cornelius then decides to vandalize the store with weaponized chicken stock grenades he's made himself, and the store will have to be closed on account of the mess. And the two of them are going to New York and are going to do all the New York stuff. Eat a nice meal, be in danger, almost get arrested, kiss goyles, you know, Big Apple shit. wet my whistle while you're laughing. <laughs> the crimson-clad chaos trickster demigoddess, <laughs> Mrs. Levi, overhears the two and their plan and is like, Hello, boys. I have a plan to nab me an old rich man and I need your help. I mean, I hear you're horny. I know where <laughs> women are. And the two young men full of feelings set the grenades off and break into song about going out on the town and they rush out of the store in their Sunday best. The song is shared by Ambrose Irma Hergeberg, <coughs> Mrs. Mega Manipulator Levi and Mrs. Me Mega Manipulator Levi who continues who continue to sing and dance about uh, going out to New York and uh, having a great time but you have to do it in your Sunday clothes. Because there's nothing quite like having to explain unidentified stains on your Sunday clothes when you go to church next Sunday confessing your sins. Or whatever it is that people do in their Sunday clothes besides go to New York and commit sins. Oh, and that freaking borderline Sith Lord, Mrs. Levi, has, a, has apparently convinced the entire town to hop on the train to New York. I don't know. I don't know what that woman like she just she just goes around and psychic mind fucks everyone and is like do my bidding do my bidding do my bidding come to new york and everyone's like must obey dolly this show is so much better if you think of it that she is just a trickster deity maybe she's a witch <clears throat> maybe she's a sorceress maybe maybe the sequel to this needs to have her burn at the stake be one of the very last witch burnings. No, like, I, I just, I, I was sitting here and just thinking about, and I was thinking about it while we're watching it, too. Just like, holy crap. 
if you didn't play this completely straight, it would be amazing. Like, as in, like, pretending like this stuff is just normal. Instead, <laughs> Dolly comes to town, everything gets weird. She leaves and is like, what the fuck just happened? What just, what, did we just do a musical number? Why would, are we in New York? <laughs> that would actually be pretty funny. Um, I don't even know where I live now. <laughs> I had to say, though, uh, one thing, and I meant to bring it up earlier. Um, How dare you? <laughs> so this definitely is one of those shows that kind of shows the difference between what movie musicals are going to be after this. Because there's no stakes. Yeah. There's no stakes with this. There's no stakes with Camelot. There's no stakes with Dr. Doolittle. Like, really, if you think about it, their well, success with Sound of Music was that there were stakes. There were for, Nazis. Yeah, there were Nazis. And you're close enough to that time period that that's still fresh. Mm-hmm. And so it, you've got stakes there, and that's where Fox fell because it's different to see a show like this live because there's still a little bit of a charm seeing this live and you can kind of turn off your brain a little bit more whereas when you're seeing it in a movie and you're seeing close-ups and you're seeing all of the stuff that they do to try and make it as realistic as possible i can see that rationale yeah it it it's too safe for the time period it's too safe of a thing. And at this time, no one's wanting to see safe. That's why, I mean, Fiddler on the Roof has high stakes for the characters involved. I mean, it doesn't end happy. <laughs> uh, you've got Cabaret, which comes after these. You've got Rocky Horror Picture Show, which comes after this. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, which comes after this. This It's not safe stuff after this. I think that this is one of those shows and... The put on your Sunday clothes reminded me of that because you don't really get musical numbers like that after this that often. Yeah, I mean, and that I mean maybe that is one of the reasons that I'm not like because like I said there there are things in the show that yeah. I liked and I'll get to them. Um, but there's a lot that I didn't. Mostly the thing I didn't like about the whole show was Dolly and yeah. the story. Like I, I don't know, I don't know. And and those are the things that <laughs> were drawbacks from this era like they i think my fair lady gets away with not having high stakes at this time i a little bit more i would argue that my fair lady has higher stakes for eliza because she's trying to get out of the gutter yeah true and she does have higher stakes and when she she does become a lady she's then like well what the fuck do i do now like she's just like i've been used like what do i do now yeah whereas with this there's just it's 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 slice of life but not good <laughs> it's it's a uh, a woman of of uh not modest well she, a woman of modest means who's trying mm-hmm. to nab a rich yeah. older husband yeah you know and it, it's i don't know okay. it's story that's been done forever it's, yeah. i'm not a huge fan of gold digger tales I no just, me either anyway me either <clears throat> oh no she'll just i'm just gold digger tales anyway <laughs> anyways the scene changes to new york city where irene malloy the grumpy old van wilson's fiance to be and her friend millie as the two are crossing the street millie is eating a banana and irene makes a veiled blowjob joke which 
hats off musical right? hats off <laughs> that that made me laugh so much because they're crossing the street and millie's eating a banana and irene goes millie the boys are looking at us and not in a good way or something mm-hmm. or something like that and she's just like huh what kind of thing because she's just ah, ha, 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 ha. <clears throat> And Irene has been around the block enough to be like, I know what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I'm not going to make that joke. Um. Anyways, <laughs> Millie inquires to Irene, if it's true, if she's going to marry a man, uh... I wrote that weird. Is it true? Are you going to marry a man who's twice your age because he's rich? And if there was a word... For a woman who would do that. You know, a much younger, more attractive woman marrying a man much, much older than her specifically <laughs> for monetary gain. Not because, like, he's charming or funny or handsome or treats her nice, just because he has a lot of, gov- of governmental IOUs. Irene? <laughs> Is there a word for that? Irene? Irene dodges the golden question like a ninja. Actually, no, she doesn't. She straight up admits that she is only wanting to marry him because of his money and she doesn't love him. Cool. (laughs) At least she's honest. Yeah. Unlike Dolly. God. Anyways, Irene sings a song about wanting a man or something. Oh, hey, the ladies notice two young studs across the street. They're looking at the shop like they're uh, like they are intending to come in. Boys in the shop, whatever will we do? Boys in the shop, whatever will we do? (laughs) Exclaims Millie. Why, flirt with them. Get their dicks excited with the prospect of sex, then kick them right in the blue balls. (laughs) It'll be good practice for marriage. I'll even let you have the short one, Millie. Millie is all giggly and shit, and Irene is like, Mmm, I do like that tall one. And she sneaks off to prepare for her flirty flirt thing she's gonna do <laughs> meanwhile outside barnaby wait barnaby i think I, it was barnaby but i my, heard bartleby my motherfucking notes go from barnaby to bartleby to to you know what though bartleby Barn- makes this into a fun little dogma thing <laughs> i mean i mean except they can't get laid because they're angels and they have no dicks they even make reference to that True. My last week on Earth, if I had a dick, I'd go get laid. True. True. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> I'm trying to tie in more AUs for it. <laughs> this is going to be a big old crossover. Except, oh God. A that, dogma musical. That could actually be really damn funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, outside, Barnaby is like, can we, uh, we can still chicken out of this bad decision. And Cornelius reveals a sinister darkness dwelling within him. Oh, God. As he utters the line, women, Barnaby, stuffed women. <laughs> that is the exact line, ladies and gentlemen. This is Buffalo Bill's ancestor or some shit. Is Cornelius's next scene going to be with Irene in a hole while Cornelius yells at her from the top to put the lotion on the skin? Oh. Or is this like Hansel and Gretel, and is Cornelius going to stuff, cook, and eat Irene? Is he planning to taxidermy this hat-peddling gold digger? What the fuck, show? What the fuck? <laughs> Anyways, while that unsettling thought oh. fornicates in the back of my mind and makes what? more unsettling thoughts, 
The two young men enter the shop and proceed to loudly hatch their plan. Let's pretend to be rich to attract women! And then do a mock polite conversation with their backs turned to the room where Irene comes out of. Full seductress mode activated. I love that. Just I always I always love that movie logic where they go in to a room and then they like announce their plans loudly because they just they don't see anybody but they're like sound doesn't travel it does kind of set up for something later though you will have to point it out okay the boys are understandably very entranced by this arc succubus after, <laughs> s- after some stumbling of words about buying a hat for a friend a lady friend Not that kind of lady friend. Actually, there is no lady friend. How are you? Are you single? Oh, I'm fake rich if you're into that sort of thing. Irene the Succubus does some flirting and the boys do some tongue wagging. And it comes out that they're from Yonkers and that they know a grumpy old man there. What was that hand signal you just did with tongue wagging? Tongue wagging. Oh, I went. Oh, I just kind of. That that I, was not what. What was what? It, what it you like. did one hand I, right there. I didn't mean to do it like that. I meant to tongue. This is supposed to see. See this limp wrist right here. This is supposed to symbolize like a wagging tongue. I know wagging tongues go more like this, but this is what a wag looks like. Don't judge me on my physical on my that, physical hand gestures. The audience can't see it these. It just more looked like you were. Uh... Exactly. Uh, down there. <laughs> Playing the uh, banjo. <laughs> Playing the banjo down south. Uh, Playing the banjo with your tongue. Ooh, giggity. Uh, <laughs> they do some tongue wagging, comes out there from Yonkers, and they know a grumpy old man there. When the boys find out that the succubus knows the grumpy old Wilson, they're like, Oh, oh, no, 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 no. We don't know him. Oh, shit! He's outside! <laughs> and the boys scatter like rats in a kitchen. Cornelius hides in an armoire? A wardrobe? Yeah. Something like, you get the idea. He hides in a big wooden box for clothing. (laughs) And Barnaby fucking elevates himself to Jedi Ninja Master and knee slides under the small table near where Irene the Succubus is standing. I That was so great. I laughed. I I straight up laughed out loud with that scene and then Kay rewind it and I laughed again. Yeah. I just... I just love the panic. You get Cornelius, boom, just right into this wardrobe. And Barnaby just knee slides, like, mm-hmm. right under the table. It was just so perfect. I loved it. It tickled me. It filled me with joy. If I was better at sound editing, I'd do that with the scream from Won't Get Fooled Again. The, ah! <laughs> just edit that. Ah, okay. Uh, it's also so, a who joke, because usually Pete Townsend I doesn't slide there. Won't Uh... So yeah, so he slides under the table near Irene, right as Mr. Van Wilson and Mrs. Dolly Levi, the gold-digging arch-goddess arch of... Right as Mrs. Dolly, <laughs> Dolly Levi, the gold-digger arch-goddess of petty and calculated self-serving, walks in the door. <laughs> Wilson is curt and businesslike as he's like, Hello, I have a gift for you. I'd like to talk to you about a business proposition to be my trophy wife. All while Dolly is poking around looking for Cornelius and Barnaby, who sh- who are in full-on stealth mode right now. And, of course, she knows that they're there because she sent them there to be like, Hey, you guys are horny. Mm-hmm. I know where you can go meet some women. Go to this hat shop. This is the most contrived, like plan for what she gets at the end. It's like a Rube Goldberg device but with people because she and has their emotions <laughs> because she she laid it out she has to be patient 
mm-hmm. she has to break down Van Wilson's mental fortitude <laughs> yeah. so that she can worm inside his brain and lay eggs near the thought centers of his brain so yes. that anytime he connects a thought with her, he immediately goes, huh, like, he just, like, she, she, she mind fucks him into submission. She does! It's so fucked That's up! why I don't like her. Okay, okay, okay. Be my trophy wife. The boys are in stealth mode. Uh... <laughs> Dolly does her dastardly best to fabricate a scenario to enrage Mr. Van Wilson by being like, Oh yes, Irene knows Cornelius. He's the talk of the town. Everyone loves him. He's witty and charming and he has so many women, so many women, because he's rich. And women in this time period slash universe only care about dollar 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 bills, (laughs) y'all. Van Wilson is like, that's not true. That's impossible. I know how much that pitiful pile of shit is worth. (laughs) All while swinging his cane around and smacking things. Millie comes out of the back room to get something from the wardrobe slash armoire thing and gets about halfway back to the back room before screaming, Ah! Holy shit, there's a man in there, even though it's one of the two men that I already know is here because I came out in the earlier scene and giggled and laughed when Barnaby was like, Hey, hee hee hee, ha ha, I'm a girl in 1890, aren't I simple? Didn't I? I didn't even get that blowjob joke from earlier that Irene made. That's how simple I am. (laughs) Irene tries to conceal the scream by being like, Stop singing, Millie, get out of here. And then Van Wilson is like, there are other dicks in here? (laughs) And Irene is like, yeah, and it's a very simple explanation, but you're not going to believe me, so I think it's better if I just thank you for the visit. And grumpy Van Wilson is like, I shall never trouble you again, and I hope you'll do, I hope you'll return the favor. And then he stomps out to be like, I'm going to the parade. Where Warren forgot that Warren forgot to mention was going on in the previous scene and was referenced earlier. But I'm going there to be with the people I can trust. Seven hundred men. I can trust a dick. A whole army of dicks. A dick army, have you? But I can't trust any vaginas. Maybe perhaps they only want money from me, because I'm an asshole, and I have no friends or redeeming qualities other than my curt gentlemanly approach towards people I don't hold in a position of power over. Anyways, good day. And the boys burst from their hiding places to exclaim their apologies to Irene, but not before diving back into their hiding places as Mr. Van Wilson comes back in one last time to confiscate his gift that he gave Irene. A box of chocolate-covered peanuts. Mm Mm-hmm. The unshelled ones. The unshelled kind. Which... Chocolate-covered shelled peanuts? I don't know. I wasn't alive in 1890, and I don't know the history of candied goods from New York. Chocolate-covered shelled peanuts. Uh, That's what you're hung up on? A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You don't uh, even eat peanuts, dear. uh, No, but, like, just the, the, the peanut and the shell with chocolate on it. That, that oh, yeah. bothers how, me. How would that work, right? Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to, like, eat the shell, too, or just suck all the chocolate off the husk and then eat the peanut, it, and then feel really dirty afterwards? Were people in the 1890s scrub jays? I don't know of any evidence to the contrary. 
So, yes. Yes, people in the 1890s were scrub jays. Anyways, Mr. Van Wilson comes back in one last time to confiscate his gift that he gave Irene when he first showed up to offer to purchase her as his wife. Purchaser. That's just what's going on. Yeah. Like, this is... Yeah, no, what is wrong. a dowry, Kay? Not, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're buying a woman. Once again, Van Wilson leaves and the boys burst out of stealth mode to apologize to Irene and Millie. Well, to apologize to Irene, and I guess Millie, too. <laughs> Cornelius seems to be under the effects of an ego boost at the hands of Dolly and proceeds to ride that high into being like, Hello, I'm Cornelius. It's true what she said. I'm incredibly charming, rich, and well-known, and liked by everyone in the city. I'm surprised you haven't heard of me. Dolly pulls Irene aside and is like, Boy, you should call the police and have them locked away forever. But since he's rich, you might as well get a nice meal out of it before you ruin his life, since you're a fellow gold-digging succubus like me who seems to just <laughs> use people and discard their vacant husks once you've siphoned off enough value to your own life. Holy fuck. Irene is like, oh yeah, good idea. I'll get a free meal out of him before I pull out his still-beating heart and siphon off his soul as he dies. This is before I realized that Irene was okay. Yeah. I thought she was just another horrible person like Dolly. <laughs> Irene and Millie then proceed to be like, you better make this up to us. And Cornelius is like, I can buy you a donut, but that's about it. <laughs> The hat hawkers scoff, and Irene is like, No! I want a fancy meal at the nicest restaurant in the city. And Dolly does another one of her dark side mind control powers <laughs> and convinces the boys to go to the restaurant at 7.30pm and ask for Ralph. Or Randolph. Or it was definitely an R name. R Roger? Nope. Anyways. <laughs> go there and ask for him and he'll give you the best seat. <laughs> I love you. I love you. 18, and I love you too, listeners. I hope you're enjoying this so far. 1890s Dumb and Dumber are... are uh, I wrote this weird. 1890s Dumb and Dumber are... are look! Are, okay, good plan. And the scene then goes to a whimsical day in the park with bike riding and running and somersaulting, flips and all sorts of acrobatics, because park. <laughs> That's what people do at a park, Kay. In, 18, in 1980, wait, 1890, I wrote that wrong. In, in 1890, New York, it was a simpler time then, and we should go back to that time period. Anyways. <laughs> that was the perfect expression. Okay. <laughs> so, like, yeah, like. You can go back to that time period. <laughs> My black ass ain't going anywhere near it. <laughs> But yeah, no. that 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 park scene, uh, I actually really liked a lot. The mm -hmm. choreography in it, I thought, was really good. Mm -hmm. Even if my brain was just kind of like, this seems very impractical. Uh, <laughs> it was it was a spectacle. Mm -hmm. Lots of very fit dancing people doing very fit dancing things. <laughs> Anyways, the Parc de Soleil concludes. <laughs> with Dolly having a quiet moment to reflect on herself and try to humanize herself in Warren's eyes, especially because he's already decided he hates her and wants her to die. Theoretically, of course, he also realizes just now that he's speaking in the third person and will now stop. Anyways, the scene with Dolly trying to humanize herself, she's talking to her dead husband while looking at her locket and being like, because I don't remember what she said. 
<laughs> something about her remembering when he would say this or that and uh, how how she wishes he'd let her go. I mean, she acts it very well, but seeing how she's like, excuse me, you're all busy living your lives while I'm trying to orchestrate a plan to ruin other people's lives. <laughs> Do you mind if I manipulate you for my purposes while showing zero remorse or self-reflection about what I'm doing? I think my character meets the criteria for being a sociopath, <laughs> as I have not expressed any genuine empathy for anyone, only mock Feigned emotions. Warren wants me to die. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do, Dolly. Anyways, Dolly gets rudely interrupted from her existential crisis with her dead husband by Irene, who is all happy and shit, and is like, Oh my gosh, I haven't said it, but my character seems to be having genuine fun and enjoyment with this man who I think is rich, but we're just in the park, but we're just in the park dancing and shit. This doesn't cost anything, but I can't remember the last time I was this happy. Anyways, Dolly, come see the parade. It's going to pass us by, Dolly. <laughs> so, of course, she didn't say all that, but <laughs> if Irene, like, all she does is, come see the parade, Dolly. It's going to pass <laughs> us by. But, you know, they were having such a good we time. We have to drop the title of the next song. There you go. Is it parade? <laughs> As the parade oh. passes by. Oh. Anyway. Anyway, but like, uh. You know, because Irene is having, Irene and Molly are having fun with the the boys and mm -hmm. all the park scenes and stuff, and so that's when I start to like like Irene is when I see her like having fun, genuine fun, genuine fun. Anyways, Dolly is like, oh shit, I remembered that that old rich single man is at the parade. My gold dead, my gold digger sense is tingling. We see the big-ass parade that Kay talked about in the first half of this show, and holy hell, that is a lot of extras. The parade is very patriotic, with soldiers, and lots of red, white, and blue, and parade floats for businesses. One such business is a meatpacking plant. Mm -hmm. Dolly recognizes the woman on the swine mobile and is like, Hey, friend, I've only said the name of once, but Warren doesn't remember. <laughs> You look ridiculous. And Swine Lady is like, well, I'm making dollar dollar bills, y'all. If they'd pay me more, Jesus I'd be the pig. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not a sociopath gold digger, so go away. Or at least that's how I interpreted the conversation, the subtext of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Pig Gal rides the sausage cart out of the scene. <laughs> and Dolly sees... Sausage cart out of the scene, and Dolly sees Vander doesn't trust a woman anymore in his part of the parade. I guess he was in the military, because he's in a uniform with a hat that has a big white ostrich feather, and he, does, and he has a sword, a saber, a saber sword. That's neat. The red-headed purple people take her advantage of her over to Van Wilson, who is like, you're fired. Go away forever. Dolly counters with, you can't fire me. I'm still working for you against your will. In fact, I have a rich heiress lined up to meet you tonight. And even though she's rich, she cooks her own meals. So you'll get a rich house servant, because that makes sense. Van Wilson tells her to piss off again. And as she does, uh, she's like, remember, 7.30 p.m. tonight, I'm going to try and orchestrate something because all I do is take advantage of people and I need you to be there, okay? Bye! <laughs> and then Van Wilson says something to her like, you're the most insufferable bitch who ever crawled out of Satan's <laughs> anus. 
And Dolly is like, Aw, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> and she scampers off to sing in the middle of the parade for a fading long shot that pulls away and I'm sure was very expensive. I mean, impressive. Impressively expensive. And this is where I once again say she is a demigod or something because she... No one else could just walk up into the parade and walk up to one of the floats and walk alongside and walk. <sighs> she, uh, uh, she is manifesting. She is manifesting that destiny. Jesus. She is just out there making her will manifest. She read the secret. <laughs> God. Oh fuck that. Next scene. <laughs> Cornelius and Barnaby are outside the restaurant, and Barnaby is like, Zoinks, Cornelius! We should quit while we're still- while we still can! <laughs> Shut up, you fool! We're this close to touching faces with these ladies! We can't quit now! <laughs> the ladies then show up and are looking their gold digger best. They dazzle the boys who are struggling for words. Irene suggests that they go into this one fancy restaurant and get hors d'oeuvres before going to the other fancy restaurant for dinner. Cornelius is like, no, we can't do that. We'll spoil our appetites and we can't do the next thing you're going to suggest because, uh, uh, not because we don't have money, because we, uh, it's, uh, it's because it's not in fashion anymore, that is. And those fat, those unfashionable people over there are so out of fashion that they don't even know that they're out of fashion. We also can't take a carriage or anything like that. And again, not because of the money or anything. <laughs> it's because it's beneath us. Because we're so rich and upper crust, what is really in fashion is to walk. <laughs> like poor people do. And the group sings about elegance and being all rich and shit. And it's actually one of my favorite scenes and had the first song that left any impression on me. The gang dances down the street all the way to the next scene. <laughs> so before I get into the next scene, I really did like that dancing. That was a great I, I can't scene. remember the name of the song. Do you remember? I can't remember either. It was, it was like Born Elegant or something like that. Like, I feel like that's what the, the word they kept singing. But it was just mm, great how I they're like, probably look how they're up. doing like this rich person swagger walk as they're like walking down the street trying to hold their noses up and be like, mm. we're too good for the common folk. Yeah. Know? And uh, it just, it tickled me and I liked it. I'm glad. Anyways, <laughs> we are in the super nice restaurant we've been building to for half the show. The fancy head waiter dude is seating people and shit when a very obnoxious woman is like, Yoo-hoo! I demand service! I'm an heiress! Do as I say! And the head waiter is like, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't. I can't seat you until Mr. Van Wilson is here. It isn't proper for a lady to sit by herself. Then we see the double duo of young lovers, eager and terrified, as they tell the head waiter, Rudolph, I knew it wasn't our name, <laughs> that they would like some food. When Rudolph, <laughs> when Rudolph the red-nosed waiter, tells them... <laughs> when Rudolph the red-nosed waiter tells them that... Unless they have a reservation, they have no tables available. Irene is like, do you know who this tall, scraggly man is? He's Cornelius. Yes, the Cornelius. He's important and shit. 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Waiter seats them at one of the very expensive private dining rooms, and Cornelius shits himself just a little more. <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Waiter hears from another waiter that Dolly, yes, the Dolly, yes, Rudolph, the red-nosed waiter, hears from another waiter that Dolly, yes, THE Dolly, Dolly the gold digger is on her way, <laughs> and apparently, holy shit, that's a big deal to this man, and all of these waiters, because when he goes in back and tells the rest of the waitstaff, they lose their shit. <laughs> now, I don't know why. Could be that Dolly has touched these men in a very deep and personal way that forever altered their lives. Or she's had the chef's special from each and every one of them. They, <laughs> they never say which. Anyways. <laughs> Rudolph the red-nosed waiter is like, I want everyone to be double the normal anal retentiveness. Double the quick... Twice as many flips and dance numbers when serving dinner. Really demonstrate why we need OSHA codes for the for the service industry. Because I swear, if everyone working here wasn't a trained dancer and acrobat, we'd have so many on-the-site on job injuries. Oh well, even if we did, we wouldn't have to pay them anything since there's no workers' rights or other legal protections. Now, get out there and do all the dancing, spinning, flipping you can do, but double the normal amount. Because motherfucking Dolly Levi is coming to town, bitches! Oh, I got a slow clap. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you liked that. Oh my god. The scene then is just that. All the different couples of the restaurant getting food served to them in fancy ways. At one point, Corny and Barnacle, the Mystery Adventure Boys, try to escape from the restaurant after seeing some really fancy food serving and being reminded yet again that they don't have the monetary compensation for the goods and services they are consuming. But the love-struck duo are forced back into the private dining room by the spinning, swirling, kicking, rolling, somersaulting ninja waiters. And the boys try to avoid being spotted by their friend, by the friend they made along the way, Rudolph, the red-nosed waiter. <laughs> Mr. Van Wilson is having a horrible dinner with the rich heiress, who is totally, who is totally real and not made up. The heiress <laughs> is an air asshole and is just <laughs> as stereotypical of a rich hoity-toity person as you can be. After ordering a bunch of expensive food and barely eating any of it, she's like, well... It's eight o'clock, and it's time for me to turn in. Van Wilson is like, bitch, that's expensive food. Eat it. And the two get into a spat with the air asshole being like, well, feed it to your pigs, poor man. And Van Wilson is like, bitch, don't you have, you don't have rights for another 30 years. I will smack you with this cane. And the air asshole leaves the restaurant and goes out to the carriage where we all know the bitch mastermind is waiting. I forgot to mention that there is actually a very sweet scene, kinda, where Cornelius is like, I'm so happy I could tell the truth. And Irene is like, the funny things men say when they drink. <laughs> and Cornelius proceeds to be like, everything Mrs. Levi said isn't true. None of that. I can't pay for this meal. I'm so going to jail. And Irene surprised me. I have to give her credit. She was like, yeah, I know you're not rich. And 
Yeah, I know you're not rich and that you work for Van Wilson. Otherwise, why would you have acted like a dickless coward? It's okay. <laughs> I planned to pay for this meal. And Cornelius is like, I love you. And he kisses her. And she and he's like, oh my God, I feel amazing. And then Billy is, Billy, Millie, <laughs> is like, um, you left all your money in your other bag. And everyone feels the room grow cold. <laughs> and just then, the waiter comes in all, Your bill, sir. And we see Cornelius' soul leave his body for a moment <laughs> while he shows the bill to everyone at the table. Before, he, before turning back to the waiter all, Take it away. I'm a rich bitch. Bring me another bottle of champagne. And Cornelius' facade fades as his face turns. And that... Is call is a callback to them speaking loudly outside that room. Really, kind of, yeah. Like that's the logic behind those two moments. Of course, she knows he's poor. Yeah, but she makes the comment that she knew he wasn't rich when he hid from Van Wilson. That uh, fair. That's what she, that. Those are her words. Uh, I just want to make the stupid decision because they're in front of a curtain. They're behind a curtain. It's not even a wall. It's yeah. a curtain. Yeah, sound travels. She's sparing his <laughs> pride. <laughs> is what it is. Because this is uh, 1890. She's going like... A man's pride is all he has. Shat and the right to vote. <laughs> She's going, this idiot was speaking with this other idiot as if we couldn't hear behind this curtain. It was when you hid. It was when you hit. <laughs> Maybe. That was it. But I do, I get the feeling that... You're not that, that stupid. I get the feeling that she started to uh, develop feelings for him Oh, yeah, she, she developed Cause, feelings. Because but... that was when, like, it seemed like, you know, they were having a genuinely good time. And she's like, I don't yeah. care if he's poor. I'm having fun. No, she, I think that she knew from the jump that this was just a fool around moment. Like, not even... Very, very possible. Not even a, oh, we're gonna get married. I'm gonna marry a rich guy. She's just more of like... Oh, I'm just going to uh, fool around for a little bit and get him all hot and bothered, and then coming uh, next year, uh, get him all <laughs> hot and bothered, and then leave him. Go, oh, you're a poor little pissant bitch. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> da 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 da. Thank you, love. You're welcome. Anyways, vamp, vamp. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, mixed up scenes aside, Dolly comes into the restaurant all golden and shit with an $8,000 <laughs> dress, and we get this huge song and dance about how good it is for all these men to see Dolly. They're so happy <laughs> she's here. It's just like old times. You're looking well, Dolly. <laughs> Looking swell, Dolly. You're still glowing. You're still growing. Growing all night long. The long, <laughs> extravagant spectacle of fit waiters, old and young, eye-banging Dolly, concludes with Louis Armstrong looking old and singing really well. <laughs> even, yep. And he's even more like, Hello, Dolly. You're looking swell, Dolly. And everyone eye humps Dolly some more. <laughs> My throat hurts trying to imitate 
Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was amazed that you were trying. He he went through uh, puberty three or four times. <laughs> <clears throat> the song ends, and Dolly sports. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The song ends, and Dolly spots Mr. Van Wilson, who's trying to sneak out. She's like, oh, hey, it's you. I'm going to talk really fast and try to baffle you with my bullshit until I mind trick you into proposing to me. Van Wilson is like, no, I already ate and I don't want to. Wait, how did I get at this table with you? Why are you Why are you putting turkey and beets on my plate? I hate beets. <laughs> Supreme. That's how that goes. <laughs> yes. yes, it does. It was so fast. It's like, wait, what? That's what oh. that's what she does in so many of these scenes is that she just she talks really really fast and motions a whole bunch. Okay, we're gonna do this and over here now. What do you think about that? And just and just just baffles people and confuses them to the point where they can't they can't uh uh they can't they can't fight back. Yeah, like I said, she she breaks down their mental fortitude. Yeah, it uh that's. <laughs> She is probably one of the characters I have liked the least in shows that we've covered. Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. Anyways, Supreme Gold Digger tries more mind tricks, and as it appears, all will fail. She's like, you can't leave. There's a dancing thing going on. And Mr. Van Wilson is trapped because of the dance contest. The aforementioned contest comes with a prize of 50 silver dollars, which I guess is at least enough to pay for the fancy meal that uh, Cornelius and the gang are fretting about. For inflation. I mean, I'm just saying, well, they see the, like, $50! It must have mm-hmm. been enough to pay for the meal. Yeah. Uh, oh, and holy shit, the uh, Irma Gerber, Vandernice, <laughs> and Ambrose are both here, but their part is so small, they're kind of not really important, so that's kind of why I forgot about them. But they're here. <laughs> dancing to try and win money i think or for the honor and the spirit of competition it was uh to impress vander i almost called him the fake name vandergelder uh vander wilson um no 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 i was like yeah. is his name vandergelder vandergelder because i couldn't fucking remember. um hi goober it was to impress him to be like, oh, see, he can make something for himself and yeah because you know a disgruntled guardian had their mind changed about a prospective spouse for their, their, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. What's, what's it called? Niece? Well, I'm trying to think of the legal definition for, like, ward. You, ward. Thank mm-hmm. you for their ward. You know, be like, oh, he can dance. I guess he can fuck my niece. Like, <laughs> anyways, people are dancing, and Van, D- Van Wilson is like, hey, that's Ambrose, and he's dancing with some girl. If Ima Gerberger could see this, <laughs> she'd see what a jerk he is. Wait. That is Ima Huggerberger. What is she doing here? <laughs> and Van Wilson goes to kill Ambrose. <laughs> the attempted murder chaos scene has Van Wilson chasing Ima Gerberger Hamburger mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> Ambrose. The chase results in tables being smashed and people being tossed about. The broke uh, love duo try to die, uh, try to dash after dining and escape out of the restaurant and into the street. While Rudolph, the red-nosed waiter, cries, <laughs> Call the police! Call the police! And the double duo flee into the park. It is here where we get the I'm in love song. Mm-hmm. As Cornelius mentions that he's a 28-year-old virgin and he's sick of it, <laughs> basically. 
After the long after the long song in the park, we see Dolly coming out with Van Wilson, telling Rudolph the red-nosed waiter that he can send the cost for the damages to Mr. Van Wilson's place. <laughs> she then proceeds to chase down Van Wilson and be like, I'm not going to marry you, so don't ask. I just came to say goodbye and sings about it, how he'll regret not having not having asked her to marry him. Not that she would. God. I am really annoyed with their... And so... But that's how this whole thing always goes. She's like, Oh, I would never marry you because of this and this and that. He's like, Well, I'm not asking you to marry me. And then she's just like, Oh, you're asking me to marry you? Well, no. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just... She's trying to mind fuck him. Mm-hmm. And break down his mental barriers. Yeah. And, like... I, just, I, I, I do not... I do not like this woman. I would have loved for this to have ended with him just being like, no, get the fuck out of my <laughs> store at the very end. Just Piss off. <laughs> like, that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Anyways. The next scene! <laughs> we are back in Van Wilson's shop where shit is messed up. He's like, Cornelius, Barnaby, I'm old and already forgot that I fired you last night, and so did you, since Warren forgot to mention that that happened during the chaos of the dinner dance chase scene. Good going there, Warren. (laughs) Anyways, Van Wilson calls for the two clerks to clean up the mess that they actually did make, even if Van Wilson doesn't know that, and then then he yells for Ermagerd Hamburger to make him breakfast. (laughs) But since he's old and shit and has his brain and his brain doesn't work, he forgot that he scared his niece by trying to murder her fiance slash husband if they're not already married. I forget. <laughs> Anyways, Cornelius, Barnaby, Irene, Millie, Emma Gerhard Hamburger, and Ambrose <laughs> come into the store. Van Wilson is like, come crawling back, eh? Well, since I'm such a soft hearted person, get an apron and clean up your mess. And the boys are like, nope, we're here for our job. We're not, oh, nope, we're not here for our jobs back. We want our money, bitch. Pay up. We're going into business for ourselves. And we're setting up in the same line of work as you. We've even set up right across the street. Courtesy of Mrs. Levi, who says hi, by the way, and to stop <laughs> asking her to marry you. She said no. Take a hint, you creepy old stalker. <laughs> uh-huh. Van Wilson is so mad by all of this that he could bust a testicle. But the... <laughs> But the full testicle-busting blow comes from his niece when he tells her to make him breakfast, and she's like, It's time you learn to cook your own breakfast, uncle, and gives him a little kiss on the cheek before turning away. And then she's like, I want the money mama left for me, and all the different... I want the money mama left for me. And all the different groups are like, My money, bitch, pay it now! (laughs) And Van Wilson is like, Okay, okay, it's upstairs. Oh, and while people are yelling at Van Wilson for their money, Dolly, the manipulative chaos demon, comes in to be like, Oh, you forgot your cane. Please don't ask me to marry you. And Van Wilson is like, You stay here while I get these ungrateful young fools their money. While everyone is out of the room, Dolly, the sociopath gold digger, talks to her dead husband again and is like, I'm gonna marry this guy, but it's okay. It won't be like the marriage we had. I don't actually love him. I'm just using him for his money. Because I'm a gold digger. God. However, since this is 1980 and I don't have... 1890. I messed that up a lot in these notes. (laughs) 
However, since this is 1890 and I don't have rights yet, Warren should really be on my side in this whole story. Pause for self-reflection. <laughs> nope, still don't care for Dolly, because as Van Wilson comes down to be like, Bah! I hate everyone and everything! I don't want a wife! If I want a wife, I'll pick one! And I pick you, Dolly, because you've mind-fucked me into submission <laughs> with all your devil woman trickery! <laughs> Dolly does the, Oh no! I couldn't! I mean, I wouldn't! I mean, are you sure? For the sake of all the gods, Dolly, you've worn me down the way the grindstone does the grain! <laughs> As soon as Dolly realizes the man's will is broken, she immediately starts working to remedy the chaos that she has manufactured through her <laughs> manipulations by being like, you know, it's bad business to let Cornelius set up a store right across from you. You better take him back and make him a partner. And Barnaby can have his old job and we'll all be together like some weird happy family I've brought together through my spider web of manipulations. <laughs> A man comes in, and he's been in before this, but <clears throat> a man comes in, and he's been here before, but his bit was so small that I didn't mention it until now. This man is a painter, and Van Wilson keeps sending him back. He tells Dolly that he's having the windows painted forest green, because this guy started up a new business, and he needs the work. And this, and it's where we get the sign, and it's here, where we get the sign from Dolly's dead husband, that she should go through with marrying Van Wilson. Van Wilson says, Money is like manure. It does no good unless it's being spread around, encouraging young things to grow. Dolly is like, Yay! Everything worked out for me. And I guess if other people got laid along the way, that's cool too. But as long <laughs> as I get my way, everything is a-okay. <laughs> We then get the dance to the wedding chapel with the reprise of Sunday Clothes and Hello Dolly, right before Van Wilson and Dolly do their camera trick kiss because the two actors fucking hated each other. Yep. The end. If you enjoyed this adventure of Corny and the Barnacle, if Cor Corny and Barnacle, the Misfit Adventure Boys, then you'll want to pre-order the next adventure of our wacky duo. No! Be sure to check out all fictional retailers for Corny and Barnacle, the Misfit Adventure Boys, and the journey to getting to third base. Coming early of 2021, wherever imaginary books are sold. Warren! Fuck. We forgot to talk about the homeless guy scene. Oh my god, we did. That was in... Was it in the park? It was in the park after the chaos at Harmonia Gardens. <sighs> that, uh... I totally forgot to mention that guy. I thought I wrote him down in my notes, but I guess I forgot. Yeah. That, uh... It, <laughs> it, was, it was like, they're singing, and then they stop, and he's just like, oh, I like... What was it that he, he he's said? He's like, like, I came in late. I came in at... Uh, da, 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 da. But like he gives a line, he's like, "Ah, right, like because because I can't remember who's singing it. Maybe it's Dolly." But it's, like turns uh, Cornelius. Okay, so it is when he's singing his love song. Yeah. So he like turns to this old guy to be like, "Right?" And the old guy is like, "I came in late. I was I only heard the da 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 da, da part, which implies that." Every single song <laughs> in this show was actually happening and was not part of the normal theater musical excuse that these people are just 
breaking into song in the real world because witchcraft, apparently. That's why Dolly Levi, being a master of chaos. Oh my god. <laughs> what? I just. Because. I don't know what circle of hell farted her out, but I. I do not like her character at all. I feel like that she is set up to be this, that she's so incredibly fucking smart that she knows how to orchestrate this plan so that yeah. everybody gets what's best for them. I feel like that's that's what we are supposed to be led to think. Mm-hmm. However, if she was that fucking brilliant, why isn't she like running New York? Why isn't she manipulated everybody around her and she is queen of New York? Like, why... I'm the queen of New York. Sorry. Is Um, that a real thing? Oh, no. We'll cover Newsies later. Um, (laughs) But I I do not like Dolly. I feel like that even though everything worked out fine for literally everybody, uh, I can't think of anybody who really got the shaft in this whole situation. No. I mean, mean, well, people didn't have their free agency, so... Yeah, everybody was manipulated by this selfish bitch who had, like, that's, uh, you, I don't ever feel like she ever shows empathy for anyone but herself. No. Like, she's up, oh, my husband, Ephraim, Ephraim, whatever, Ephraim, Ephraim he's dead. Oh, that's sad. That's mm-hmm. sad Ephraim's dead. But I'm gonna just about face and manipulate everybody I possibly can into my dastardly deeds yeah. to net me a rich husband who I straight up admit I don't love, and that I will not care for the same way that I cared for my previous husband. Yeah. But it's, I'm just, I, I, oh, oh, so many angry feelings. And Dolly reminds me of so many people, and that's why I hate her. Uh, at least, I can, I can think of one at least. Um, but I can think I, of a couple that I'm just like, I, I just, I do not, like, I know I started out hating Irene, but because she, like, had this character growth, mm-hmm. you know, she went from being a, oh yeah, I'm gonna marry this old guy that I don't care about, because he's got mm-hmm. money, he'll get me out of working, and yeah. yeah, I'll have to take his old wrinkly dick and make his food, but, you know, <laughs> when he dies in a decade or so, I'll be, I'll make a mint, you know? Like, she has that attitude, and then she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I fell for this poor man who showed me the joys of life and is sweet to me, and mm-hmm. all this stuff, and it's like, okay, cool, you had some personal growth. I approve. And, you know, the the boys had personal growth. They were, mm-hmm. like, talked into, oh, we're going to start our own business. You know, they were going to go against uh, their former boss, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I just, I, like, I have such mixed feelings because overall, I did enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy the show. Uh, but I, I really... I really didn't like a lot of stuff going on in it. Yeah. So it's... The music was fun. The plot the is... The music is fun. The plot is just like, oh no, this <sighs> this has so many... I feel like... So many bad implications. No, no, no this reminds me of a bit. Mm-hmm. If you take out all the, the, the musical scenes, if you just have like the, the normal straight play parts, mm-hmm. if you were to cut this with like a horror movie soundtrack holy shit <laughs> it would just be about this woman who's trying to destroy the lives of everyone around her so that she can get what she wants uh-huh and it would it would fucking fit yeah it would fucking fit yes it would it's just 
Ugh. But music <sighs> makes it whimsical. Uh-huh. Holy fuck. But overall, you know, uh, oh. it was it was entertaining. Yeah. Um, like I said, there were parts that made me laugh and smile. There were a couple. I liked Sunday clothes. I liked the uh, <clears throat> the waiters mm-hmm. stuff. Like the whole scene at the restaurant I thought was great. Yeah. I, I do like the Hello Dolly song, mm-hmm. even though... I felt like it was pretty sexualized. Like there, because no, I'm, it's a. It I'm is. looking at those waiters. Every single one of them is just like, oh, Dolly. Yeah, and I mean, they were able to get away with that, leaving this post haze code. Yeah, this like there's they a, were there's able a blowjob joke yeah, in this show. <laughs> they were able to get away with stuff, but it still doesn't have quite the bite that it could have had. Uh, just I don't know. I'm and, sure part of it's a product of its times and whatnot. And, yeah, and, but this isn't like this is probably one of i'm sure that the stage version is more enjoyable like well I mean, we know for a fact it doesn't have 3000 motherfucking yeah, people yeah it doesn't in have 3000 motherfucking people in it um why would you make that why was that a decision that Kay, was made they didn't stop to think if they should they only thought about if they could i said that in reverse but yes, whatever yes you did but that's I okay i don't care that's okay <laughs> So, I just, yeah, I God. mean, I guess my final verdict, uh, it's, it's worth a watch. I think mm-hmm. like if I were to like rate this, it would be probably just average overall, mm-hmm. maybe slightly above average. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I will say like the choreography, like the dance scene in the park and the dance scene in the restaurant. Yeah. Amazing choreography. Yeah. Like these guys were just like, I was blown away. I it's, was, it is a spectacle. Yeah. It's, it's a great spectacle. spectacle. Um, and we're going to cover some of Jerry Herman's other shows later that are a little bit more uh, uh, on the cutting edge for because he's he's a fascinating person. So we'll cover him later. But this was sort of an early Herman, early Herman, Hermagerdin mm-hmm. Herman. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> are you ready for uh, the last one on this set of seals that were? opening because we need to take a break after that oh. from bad show what's or, the, what's hit me with the fourth seal okay lost horizon know nothing about it i didn't it, know about it until i was doing is it is it event horizon the musical no it's <laughs> <laughs> how fucked up would that be <laughs> i just started thinking about it and going i wonder who could do that oh my god <laughs> That would be. You could pull it off. That would be so messed Not up. Not Weber. That would be so messed up. That would be. So, oh, I would watch it though. Just mostly to Wildhorn be... could do it. Frank motherfucking Wildhorn could uh, pull it off. If he's... anyone could pull it off, it would be Frank motherfucking Wildhorn. He's really good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Frank Wildhorn. Event Horizon, the musical. Oh, you do know it. what? <laughs> That's another one of those. Uh, you you did it. You didn't stop to think if you should. <laughs> All he right. did Death Note, and it was good, so... Yeah. Death Note is whimsical compared to motherfucking true, Event true. Horizon. True, but, like, I don't know, Death Note's something that I would have been like, no, still, you can't do a musical s- on this. Still surprised that was as good as it was. Yeah, so if anyone can do it, it's Frank Wildhorn. Mm. He could he could take, he could keep it as dark and gritty as possible and still make it, like, 
because musicals don't have to be whimsical. Yeah, true. He did um, uh, Jekyll, Jack, too. Right? Yes, yeah, he which did is Jekyll another one that I really liked. So yeah, you're right. Frank Wildhorn you could do it. You've uh, you've convinced me, Kay. This is not a Frank Wildhorn musical, though, unfortunately. Oh. So yeah, it's it's one that I hadn't heard of until I was doing research for Camelot, and then was like. We're doing this. <laughs> In fact, that is the one that led to me doing this uh, Four Horsemen thing. So, And then uh, we'll open Seals 5 through 7 later with uh, Xanadu, uh, Can't Stop the Music. Uh, yeah. I'm, 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 I have a passing familiarity, familiarity with Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know much about it other than it's a roller disco thingy. I have a little bit more than a passing familiarity with it, and we'll probably talk about it when we come to that show. Hey. Hey. So, yeah, next week, Lost Horizon. Um, I'm actually kind of pleasantly surprised with how the middle two shows have been with uh, <laughs> our Four Horsemen. I'm scared, because I have not seen Lost Horizon. Oh, so it'll be a first for It'll you. be a first for me. And, like, I don't remember... Hello, Dolly. But I'm pretty sure I watched it as a little kid. We get a Popper Horizon cherries together. We get a pop. Oh God, it's, I guess sometimes <laughs> your first time is messy <laughs> and painful <they're> regrets, <laughs> shame sometimes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us uh, this wacky week of tone death. Uh, Luckily, there are no cults that are going to be kidnapping us. There are no... uh... Oh, I sure hope not. (laughs) I really sure hope not, because uh, that gorilla was not gentle. I'm sorry, babe. Coco, why are you so rough? Um, So if you want to reach out to Kay and I, you can uh, do so at our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. We have links to all of our social medias. We have our Discords, our Facebook, or sorry, we have our Facebooks, our Twitters, our Instagrams, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server where we have our own and not safe for work channel. Mm -hmm. Feel free to drop in, say hi, talk about musical theater, share pictures of your pets, or even just, I don't know, just say, hey, hey, how's how's it going, Kay and Warren? We'll be like, oh, hey. Hey, person. It's nice to nice to see you. Hope you're doing well. If you want to help out the show, uh, please rate and review on your favorite podcatchers. Uh, five-star ratings really do help. Um, and if you uh, leave us a review, be sure to mention Latte in your review, and she gets a cookie. Yep, Latte gets a cookie. Uh, Ruckland uh, got Latte a cookie last week. Yep, Latte scored a cookie from her Uncle Ruck, and mm-hmm. uh, it's already gone and turned to poop now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. If you want to go above <laughs> and beyond, you can buy uh, some cool swag. Um, haven't the John the Giant Pink Sea Snail merch <laughs> up yet. Still working on that design, but it will be there. <laughs> um, but you can get face masks to pr- protect your face. We've got Jello cats. We've got trippy Jello cats. We've got our logo. Um, all that fun stuff. If you want to join our exclusive uh, producer circle, you can go over to patreon.com slash Tone deaf. Yep, you can, uh, starting as low as $1, you can help support the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're gonna be putting up some bonus episodes, I promise, soon. We just need to sit down and watch some, uh, Baby K shows, so that'll be, that'll be fun. A little awkward for me. Especially fun for you. You're fucking astronomically cute. <laughs> Thanks. So, 
Anyway, that'll be it for this week. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. Somebody came in and was looking at her bowl no. and going, where the fuck's my turkey? She goes, I just have kibble. What is this? Like, I, I, I had a hard life, Dad. You're supposed to be spoiling me. Right now, you're lacking. Where the fuck is my grand turkey, Mom and Dad? Where the hey, fuck is Hey, 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 hey. My, my sweet little girl does not have that potty now, okay? <laughs> you, you take that back. But I'm going I'm to go get that sweet girl her turkey for her kibble. Oh, thank you. I'm going to start editing.